Welcome to another episode of the Bandage Podcast, a weekly wrap-up of the most trending healthcare news. Each week, we'll discuss the latest in healthcare, health IT, and compliance. In this week's episode, we discuss gun violence as a public health crisis, federal government actions against heat sickness, and a strike against New York hospitals. Let's wrap things up. This is episode 104 for the week of September 27th. I'm Matt Moneypenny. And I'm Albert Battistelli. Before we get started, our diagnosis code of the week is Y93.49 or activity other involving dancing or other rhythmic movements. Wow. (laughs) I don't know about you, but I am not a dancer, so this is not something that I would ever have to probably deal with. Although I don't know what a rhythmic movement is. Yeah, maybe like dancing. I only dance at weddings and I could see like shaking it too hard and maybe like dislocating something. Yeah. Like Especially that. if there's alcohol involved. Right. That's true. That's true. But then like, you think there'd like, be another diagnosis code for like activity or other involving dancing and alcohol or alcohol induced dancing. I probably don't know. is one. Yeah. It's I'm sure there is. Specific. There might be one. Plus I think maybe this might deal with, you know, that outcast song, Hey Ya, when he says shake it like a Polaroid picture. You think that that yes, uh, song actually has the the biggest um, cause of this diagnosis code? I could, I could imagine that. People trying to shake it so hard like a Polaroid picture that they, I don't know, that they pop a hip shake or their hip. Yeah, exactly. Right, right, right. right. They shake loose. Yeah, they shake well, loose. It's a little too much. <clears throat> Anyways, let's get into the news. First up, we have public health crisis, gun violence. The Kalamazoo City Commission adopted a resolution declaring that gun violence is a public health crisis and putting $1 million towards initiatives to stop it. The resolution was unanimously approved by the Kalamazoo City Board of Commissioners last week, and it also stated that gun violence is a leading cause of premature death in the United States, with more than 38,000 people killed and nearly 85,000 people hurt by firearms each year. The resolution also noted that Kalamazoo County in Michigan had 21 deaths from gun violence in 2020, the highest number of homicides in the county this century. The resolution allocated $1 million from the Coronavirus State and Local Fiscal Recovery Funds, or SLFRF, for community violence intervention. The Kalamazoo County Commission was also slated to vote on a resolution declaring gun violence a public health crisis and committing $1 million in stimulus funds for prevention and intervention initiatives. So $1 million thrown around a lot here. (laughs) If you didn't catch that. Um, So, I mean, this is obviously a, it's kind of a political uh, story. Yes. Obviously there's a lot of politics involved here, but beyond politics, getting shot with guns is not good for your health. Right. Absolutely. And I mean, if it is one of the leading causes of premature death in the United States, I mean, I understand why the government would want to, you know, curb that. Sure. Uh, obviously, the more people that die, the less people are paying taxes, and the less people are. <laughs> That's a very government. I know, way a cynical way of looking at it, but like, <laughs> I feel like as a government, you want to keep your people alive, and if you're trying to figure well, out I'm how, sure. I guess this uh, this million dollars might help. Uh, I don't. Yeah, I feel like the million dollar. It sounds like a lot for you and me, but I don't think that's a yeah, lot. Yeah, no, no. It's like buying a billboard. Lives. It's like a billboard. That's like, yeah, that's like one gun. Yeah, just kidding. <laughs> one very, very large gun, I'll say. Yeah, sure, sure, sure. <laughs> but yeah, hopefully, you know, Michigan gets a hold of their gun violence. I guess. Yeah. Next story: The White House against heat illness. 
The White House is moving to protect citizens from extreme heat after a dangerously hot summer caused hundreds of deaths from the Pacific Northwest to hurricane-ravaged Louisiana. Federal agencies are launching actions intended to reduce heat-related illness and protect public health. As part of the administration's plan, the Labor Department is launching a program to protect workers. And this includes agricultural, construction, and delivery workers, as well as those working indoors in warehouses, factories, and kitchens. Labor's Occupational Safety and Health Administration, OSHA, is set to issue a new rule on heat illness prevention in outdoor and indoor work settings and will focus interventions and workplace inspections on days when the heat index exceeds 80 degrees Fahrenheit. The administration will also expand its Low-Income Home Energy Assistance Program, or LIHEAP, to add programs to address extreme heat, the White House said. So this is, I feel like most workers would probably be happy about this. Yeah. Now, the problem with OSHA is there's so many places that fail to follow OSHA requirements that they don't have enough resources to devote to actually... uh, you know, enforcing it, enforcing it. Um, but it is good overall because a lot of factories and warehouses and any kind of warehouse job, they don't have air conditioning. No, sometimes, they, too. yeah. Sometimes even if they deal with like hot ovens and, and, and things like that, um, kilns and things like that, they're still not, they don't have air conditioning. So the fact yeah. that people have died because of heat exhaustion related to this is obviously a big deal. Um, yeah. So hopefully OSHA can enforce this and it doesn't cost that much money to organizations to put air conditioning. And I can't imagine it would. Right. But I mean, it's, it is a safety concern for sure. It is absolutely. Especially as things, it feels like it gets hotter and hotter every summer. It feels like we're always breaking these records for like hottest day ever. Yep. Every year it feels like that. Yep. Next up, hospital employee wage battle. There have been new developments in an ongoing contract fight between Catholic Health and union workers in Buffalo, New York. Health system leaders say communicators, Workers of America, or CWA, presented Mercy Hospital of Buffalo with a 10-day strike notice. The strike is set to begin at 6 a.m. October 1st, one day after the contracts of 2,500 healthcare workers are set to expire. Catholic health administrators say they've created a contingency plan to keep Mercy Health Hospital open during the health strike. They also say that Mercy Hospital, Kenmore Mercy Hospital, and Sisters of Charity St. Joseph Campus each filed unfair label practice laws against the CWA. The union is accusing Catholic health of refusing to raise wages. In addition, a recent survey showed staffing shortages are threatening patient care. Catholic Health says it's working to recruit new staff members, but CWA is pushing for staffing ratios that could hurt hospital sustainability. So, on top of everything going on with the pandemic, yep. what ends up happening is we have we already had a shortage of healthcare workers before the pandemic. Right. Then the pandemic hit and exposed that even more so, but also right. made the people that are healthcare workers have to work even more, which yep. increases burnout rates twice as much. So then they end up yep. dealing with this kind of issue where uh, healthcare workers are like, all right, well, I need to get paid more because I'm working way too much and I'm in a exactly. union. So, you know, I don't blame them regardless no. of what your view is of a union. I mean, I don't blame them for, for wanting to go on strike for something like that. It's unfortunate times to be a healthcare administrator. Um, 
And then they end up getting slapped in the face with the, you're a hero, which I'm sure right. gets old after a while, which they are heroes. So don't get pay, pay me like a hero. <laughs> yeah, right. But I feel like after a while, it's like, okay, you're just doing this so that you don't have to pay me more. You're calling me. Exactly. Yeah, right. A pat on the back is not an extra, bo like a bonus or a paycheck. Like, right. I can't feed my family with a pat on the back. Agreed. With that, let's go to our next segment. B-R-E-A-C-H. Breach Patrol. It's a breach! All of the latest cybersecurity breaches. Welcome to Breach Patrol. We talk about the latest breaches all across the world. Go ahead, Albert. All right. Nation state-sponsored Alaskan attack. Some computer networks at the Alaskan Health Department are still offline after foreign government-backed hackers breached the department in May. News of the breach first emerged in May, but Alaskan officials now say that the nation-state-sponsored hackers exploited a vulnerability in the health department's website to gain further access to department data. The hackers may have accessed Alaskans' social security numbers and health and financial information. According to a spokesperson for the Alaska Department of Health and Social Services, there is still no timeline for when all services that are currently offline will be back online. The Alaskan Health Department didn't restore its electronic system for processing birth, death, and marriage certificates until July 26. The FBI and U.S. Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency declined to comment on the breach. Alaskan officials will offer credit monitoring services to breach victims to guard against fraud. Uh, yeah, so Alaskan Health Department, that's a, I mean, that's a municipality. So that's a really right. big cybersecurity attack. Very scary for sure. Yep. I don't know. I guess how do I don't know how the health departments get like social security numbers and stuff? Like does everyone do they do they just have this mass data bank of right people who were born in the state? Well, um, I would assume that like every time they issue a birth certificate, they log that information right. or every time they issue I guess, so. I guess they don't issue social security numbers though, but yeah, that's, that's like the I mean, social security administration, but it is. It's a lot. And it, it feels like we hear about this all the time where these, like a municipality is attacked. And it just seems to be like a trend where these local governments or state governments just aren't quite as, I don't know, they don't have the security measures in place. Yeah. yeah. Is, or maybe it's like, like not good because, you know, right. if, you're, if you're the people who are doling out the sensitive information and establishing the sensitive information, whether it be social security numbers or birth certificates. And in this case, they're not, like we said, but they are still a part of the government that does, right? So right. it's like, you right. should have these safeguards in place. And, and, you know, it just goes to show you that hackers are attacking and targeting people or smaller uh, health departments and government agencies that are uh, on the smaller side because they're easier targets. I right. can't and imagine anyone what... would have thought that Alaska even had a health department unless you lived there, right? I mean, That's obviously true. you probably do, but it's like right. it's Alaska, like it's a wasteland. And I feel like a lot of government agencies like run off of old tech until yeah. like until they have to like mm -hmm. I don't know get more. They pass a levy to like get more money or tax like exactly. raise taxes in order to like upgrade exactly. things. But when you're running off of that old tech and you're just kind of going through the motions the way you always have, you you leave yourself vulnerable to these kinds. Of Tabs. Agreed. Next up, health records untouched. A healthcare company with several locations throughout Michigan was the target of a sophisticated cyber attack and is advising those potentially impacted to monitor their financial credit data. 
A group of hackers based in Ukraine targeted the company in a ransomware attack in a way that employees would be able to unaccess patient financial information. The hackers demanded FMC officials pay a sum of $30,000 to unlock those files. The company complied after contacting the aid of a third-party forensic security and data firm. The firm advised FMC to pay the money as part of a strategy to determine the scope of the hack and what information may have been potentially compromised. A full digital audit of the breach found that patients' medical files had not been compromised in any way. The scope of the attack was purely financial information. So what's interesting here, and I don't know if they did this, but you know they contacted a third-party forensic security data firm, which is good, but they also say if you deal with a ransomware attack, which is what this is, Right. You should contact the FBI, which they might be doing. Right. But I don't know the size of this organization. So maybe it's on the smaller side. So maybe they didn't really know what to do. So they looked to the private sector. But sure. I don't think they necessarily needed to go to the third party data firm. Um, I mean, obviously, there's benefits to it because you can kind of get another perspective. But I usually the FBI is the one that handles ransomware attacks and remediation. Yeah. Usually what they end up doing is they tell you, pay it especially if it's only something like thirty thousand dollars that's not that much right. from an organizational perspective sure um but you know this this continues to be a, a big problem to help right you'd also think if it was like an international thing like some let's, this, these are hackers from another country like you would need to get some sort of government involved like the fbi or something to help right you no know. And maybe they are. It's just a matter of it's it's still developing because they still have to talk to the government anyways. They have to talk to the HHS depending on you know true. the size of the breach. So because it's definitely a HIPAA breach as well, which is a pain in the butt. Hey, UK email disaster. Britain's defense minister apologized, and his ministry suspended an official Tuesday after a significant data breach involving the email addresses of dozens of Afghan interpreters hoping to settle in the United Kingdom. An email from the defense ministry was sent to more than 250 Afghans who are eligible for relocation and still remain in Afghanistan and was mistakenly copied to all applicants instead of blind copied. British media reports said that the people whose email addresses were distributed included some individuals who are in hiding from the Taliban. Investigations are taking place and officials will help provide security advice to those affected. He told lawmakers that authorities believe there are 900 credible cases of Afghan resettlement currently being processed. So this is an instance where, you know, you make like an honest mistake. I can't imagine that the ministry official accidentally or on purpose sent the email and included like everybody else's emails. Like that happens all the time. That made me in college one time and everyone in college piled up on each other and it was a big reply chain that went to the president, but that's a whole nother story. But in this case, you know, this simple mistake ended up putting a lot of people's lives in in jeopardy. I mean, right? Yeah, it's really scary. I mean, I right. don't. You have Even to have certain safeguards for this, but I don't know exactly. How to do it. Go ahead. Well, and it goes to show that on a personal level, like organizationally, you can talk about like data breaches and security and things like that, but it really does come down to a personal thing as well. Like each employee mm-hmm. being trained and each employee having a like system and knowing to like what to check before they send these certain right. emails with uh, sensitive information or things like that. So it does make, it comes down to like making sure everybody who is on staff, everybody who's uh, involved with this sensitive information knows how to handle it properly. Right. Yeah. Employees are the biggest threat to an organization. And I mean, 
this guy could have very well known like cybersecurity, you know, practices right. and stuff, but it's just a, a mistake that happened. And I can yep. imagine, you know, he has to fall on the sword for it. But yep. I mean, it just leads to a lot of uh, dangerous potential, a lot of just danger, I guess you could yep. just say. I don't know. I don't know how else to say it. It's just bad. And that's it for this week's wrap up of your weekly healthcare news. I'm at Moneypenny. And I'm Albert Battistelli. And we'll talk to you next week. Thank you for listening to the Bandage Podcast produced by eTactics.